Hello everyone, welcome back to LadyPod with me, Lottie Morley. LadyPod is all about highlighting wonderful women from all walks of life. It's storytelling for the sisterhood. Hopefully, the ladies on LadyPod will leave you feeling amazed and inspired. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Stephanie Sword-Williams, the founder and author of Fuck Being Humble, a platform that encourages people to be proud of their achievements and realise that self-promotion is not a dirty word. So, Steph is a very busy lady, but she kindly took the time to chat to me. Let's have a listen. Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to speak with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, Steph, you are an author and a public speaker and the founder of Fuck Being Humble. So first off, tell me what Fuck Being Humble is and where you got the idea from. Fuck Being Humble in its purest forms, I think, is just a mindset that I encourage people to adopt. So I called my brand Fuck Being Humble because I wanted to evoke an emotion in people and to remind them that there are times in your life where you need to fuck being humble and you need to put yourself out there and you need to go for it and you need to tell people why you are good at what you do. In its like physical sense, in terms of like services and, and how I help people and what I do, it originally started as an event series. My idea was I wanted to make networking not shit. So I wanted to create a really cool professional development career development, event series that people would come to because it felt like a a night out. It felt like something where you would actually meet people you wanted to and there wasn't a stigma around people wearing crappy suits and it being a really rubbish PowerPoint PDF. You know, I wanted to really flip networking on its head. So at the beginning for me, the, the main goal and the only expectation I really had was running community events. I love going to events. I loved soaking up what I saw. And and I, I thought, you know, I really wanted to do it myself and bring people together over this shared feeling of being a bit lost in your career and wanting advice and, and peer-to-peer networking and all those great things that sometimes we just don't have the capabilities to do ourselves. And then it's gone on to, you know, be really successful in the sense that Within six months, I was asked to write, um, of launching the business, I was asked to write a book, which I very courageously did without any experience of writing a book. I offer talks to corporate businesses. So I, I give talks to brands like Unilever and Google and the BBC and Bumble and a real range of different um, businesses offering employee engagement sessions. I talk on panels, a real range of different things. And, and what's been really nice for me, growing the platform has, has really been the online community. So I'm very active on Instagram. That's generally where I've built up a lot of my following and sort of fan base. And I've been so happy to see people come out of their shell and promote themselves and reshare the tips and get on board with the things that I'm saying and and let go of that that fear, basically. So it's a it's an online platform. It's a book. It's an event series. It's products online. There's like there's so many different things that we offer. But from a mindset perspective, it's about claiming your worth and knowing how good you are. So fuck being humble. The title. It's the bold choice, isn't it? What was your thought process behind that? So swear swearing aside. It, it can be seen as a bit anti-British, can't it? Because we love playing ourselves down for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember telling my friends, I think I've come up with a really cool brand name. 
And naturally, being very British, they were quite like, "Mm, you may turn some people (laughs) off. Maybe people won't feel like they want to get involved. And I remember actually saying to them, and I'm proud that I did, because I I worked in advertising for seven years. I was really passionate about following brand movements, looking at how some of the best campaigns have happened in the world as a result of encouraging action or changing a behavior. And I knew that if I had something like shoot for the stars, it just would not have got the press. It would not have been disruptive (laughs) enough. And we'll probably talk a bit more about it as we go into the session, but as well as answering an industry need and a consumer need from a very personal perspective I wanted to start foot being humble because like many people I felt like a cog in the machine in the workplace I felt like I was always pushing other people's ideas I felt like it was never really me at the top going here's the creative output here's how I want it to look and as a result I, I I've said to myself you know if I, I've always had the dream I want to be a TED speaker and I said to myself if I want to be a TED speaker What am I ever going to get invited to speak about if I'm only ever pushing other people's ideas? So I I, I knew in my heart and being a huge fan of TED that you have to be saying things that are provocative. You have to be challenging an industry norm. And I I love challenger brands anyway. I've always sort of moved towards brands that are disruptive, like Oatly or, you know, ones that that catch your eye. I've always loved that startup challenger mentality. So when it came to creating it and back to that conversation I had with my friends when they said, oh, I think you might turn people off. I actually said, well, maybe they're not the people I need to be helping. And and that was the point where I realized this was going to be something really powerful. And I'm really proud that I stuck to my guns because I honestly don't think the success of the brand and the business would have happened if I'd have gone for something more generic and more vanilla. So I'm really proud of it. I stand by it. It's not been without its backlash, of course, in the UK. One of the things I'm noticing now is my audience is growing a lot in the U- US and naturally they love it and they just adopt it immediately. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the things as a brand marketer and as a CEO and founder and all the titles that I'm and all the you know roles that I have to play is actually what I'm doing right now is breaking a really tough market. So if I can make people in the UK believe, well, the rest of the world will be a lot easier. We are the most sceptical, the most self-deprecating, the most pessimistic (laughs) nation. So although it's a hard one to crack for the first time round, I'm feeling really confident that when I start to expand in other countries, that will be a a really positive response. And with the F word in the title... Has like I think you just mentioned it there. Has that put anyone off, or do you think that's the reason people like it? There's two types of people that I attract and that give me a response. There are generally women who go, "Oh my god, I love this! It's been missing all my life. I've never heard anyone say this. I am so grateful you came into my life." And then there are the ones that want to question it and go, "I don't agree with this. I can't believe you'd say something so controversial." This is ridiculous. Being humble is the most important thing in your career. The sad thing about the latter group is they very often have never spoken to me, never attended my events, never read my book. And they form that opinion purely based on seeing the F word and seeing the fact that I'm challenging being humble. But again, they're not my audience. So I don't need to worry about those people necessarily. There have been instances, and it's my own fault when I think about it, it's definite learning for anyone listening that you I get blocked on Facebook and Instagram if I want to do advertising because of, of the swear word because of, it's a profanity 
again, on the flip side, what I'm proud of is Foot Being Humble has a reach of 23K followers on Instagram, 25K followers on LinkedIn. And all of that is is organic, which I'm really proud of. So with every obstacle that the swear word has thrown at me, um, there's also been the benefit. And again, it's that whole thing is I really don't believe I would have got the press. I don't think I would have got the bookings. I don't think I would have got invited to speak on panels if I didn't have such a provocative name. I think from a business process of not being able to advertise, that has been difficult. And I think that's something I, I'd learn for future brands. But the other thing I'd say is another area that's been quite not necessarily problematic, but it's the same as the same with consumers as clients is I've had some clients say, we really love what you do, but we think you may need to not say the F word. And I've had to sort of politely go back to them and say, well, then how could I possibly do this talk? And there was one client that was like quite a big, well-known and actually quite not provocative, but very creatively free brand who was like, who really was trying to push me not to use the word. And I was like, so can I not even promote my book? And they were like, yeah, no, you wouldn't be able to do that. And, and I just had to say to them, like, I really value you as a brand and I really want to work with you on this, but I have to stand my ground. Luckily, they came around and, and we figured it out. And, and I think the person who was relaying the message felt really bad anyway, because she was like, I don't necessarily agree with this. But yeah, it isn't without its obstacles. But then, you know, I chose this path for myself and with all the great things of course it's going to come niggles with any brand and with any promise or product that you offer you're always going to have some sort of response or some query or somebody wanting to challenge whether it's right so I, I don't mind too much because it's I, I made this bed so I have to figure out how to lay in it and that's that's my responsibility and, and I think because it's had such a positive success in many different ways, I almost don't mind having to defend it the times when when I do need to. It's weird when you think about it that we that we think in the UK that it's a good thing playing ourselves down and being humble. Why why do you think we're like that? I have no idea, but it absolutely does my head in. Like I hate it with a passion. Um, I don't know why it is. I, I think it, there must be something. It, it's ingrained in our culture. I, I call it. It's like the Hugh Grant style, isn't it? It's like that. It's like that <laughs> yeah. waffly, apologetic. Hi, I, you know, I've got to waffle a lot, say too many words, blah blah blah. Like I actually say that in the book. Like just stop speaking like Hugh Grant because like. <laughs> that is actually really not going to help you. One thing I, I, so I used to live in America when I was younger. And um, also when I was doing my research on the book, I noticed that they, they actually have self-esteem classes at a very young age in like year one or reception. They, they teach kids about self-esteem and confidence. And I, I, you know, we don't, we don't learn that from necessarily our parents. We don't necessarily learn it from our education. So I think it is massively because we're not we're not taught how to be different or how to deliver things differently, which is in comparison when you meet an amazing public speaker who's 12 from America, you're like, how on earth are you that good? And it's because it's been ingrained in what they do. And I remember when I was at school there, we used to do show and tell really regularly. You'd have to get up in front of the class and share. And I'm pretty sure you had to do that the whole way through the school terms like every year and just little things like that where I think we are trained less in self-promotion and storytelling at a younger age or in our education 
and that can have really negative impacts on the way that we talk about our strengths and, and why we're good at what we do. I definitely remember as a child, uh, you know, whether it was teachers, parents or, or just generally, the attitude was, oh, you don't brag about things yeah. or, you know, don't don't rub it in other people's faces, things like that from from like school. Yeah. Which is weird, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a culture thing. And, and it happens in a lot of Asian countries as well. Um, I, you know, it, it can... It can stem from lots of places. I, I've talked to, again, I wrote about it in the book and I talked to a lot of people about this, but it can be the relationships you've had. It can be your education. It can be a bad workplace environment. It can be toxic spaces you've been in. There's loads of different reasons why we don't engage with self-promotion or we feel nervous about it. So as much as we can blame it on being British, I think there's lots of things that affect us as we go through our lives that challenge the way that we speak about ourselves naturally but yeah it's definitely something that I've noticed is a UK issue and probably why foot being humble has landed so well in that way you know maybe in America I might have got lost amongst other brands that are doing similar things because they're way on board with it and actually maybe it was because I was disrupting an English mindset that, that people that were kind of quite excited by it and, and they're intrigued by it but yeah it's it's definitely something that I'd like to encourage the entire world to change their mindset on. So what do you think when people say that they disagree with the sentiment fuck being humble that they think that humble is a good thing or you know what we should be aiming for? So I always caveat with every presentation with every podcast with every panel I sit on I absolutely believe in humility. I believe that being humble is a really admirable quality, something we should all do in our lives. What I don't believe in is missing out on opportunities because you are being so modest. So I totally am fine with people going, I think you should be humble. Great, I do too, absolutely. The difference is I see people being humble too early on in their career. And what I mean by that is I see students or people who've recently graduated going, oh no, I, I'm too, too modest. I, I couldn't possibly share my work. Thank, thanks for the praise, but I couldn't possibly share that. And what I explain to a lot of people is generally you need to do so much hard work to self-promote yourself at the start of your career in order for you to build a reputation, in order for you to then be humble, modest, I don't need to big myself up anymore. So I think if you mm. think about it more on a scale, more of a... Um, where you need to start you need to self-promote the first 10 years of your career are pivotal for you to self-promote and for you to be noticed and for you to build up that reputation obviously it doesn't matter what point you start but generally the sooner you start self-promoting the more your confidence builds the more your reputation builds the more opportunities happen then once everyone starts to see wow this person is amazing then absolutely you sit back and lap up that praise and you go, oh, thank you, I really appreciate that. And you don't necessarily have to go out there and self-promote because you've already built up that reputation. You have to do a lot of upfront work before you can sit back on a sun lounger sipping a margarita and everybody's <laughs> Googling your your website. And sometimes you may have to carry on doing that your entire life. And this, you know, it's, I, I always explain to people, I never tell people to do things that I haven't done myself. 
So I am the guinea pig for foot being humble. So I've spent the past two years solidly working on my career, working on my reputation in the career development space. And so when I give a presentation now and people say, that was amazing, you did a great job, I can be really humble and say, thank you, that means a lot, I really appreciate that. And and hope that people will go recommend me and go shout about me and, and talk about me on LinkedIn and share posts on Instagram. But that's only because I've spent a lot of time investing in that reputation up front. And I think the, the times where we feel disappointed is we sit around waiting for our talents to be noticed. And when, we're, when they're not noticed, when they're overlooked or underappreciated or we slip through the net, we live in this sort of phase of resentment and we're gutted and we, we feel like we're not good enough. And that's what I really want to remind people is, just because you haven't been spotted yet doesn't mean you're not good enough. It means you've not you've not done enough to promote yourself to be seen by the right people. God, yeah, that's so interesting. But I suppose it makes sense, doesn't it? If you are an actress that's been, you know, you're an award-winning actress or you're the world's best brain surgeon, then yeah, you probably you probably don't need to be, you know, pushing your stuff on social media and and like mentioning your name at networking events and stuff. But yeah, so would you say that most of the people that come to your your talks and your workshops are they are they younger sort of people at the beginning of their careers? I've definitely grown an audience of uh, Gen Z and millennials. I think part of that is the brand name, the content that I put out. A lot of my references are like '90s and noughties memes. I base all my workshops on my favorite R and B lyrics. Like the branding and the approach, the content was always to try and demystify a world of information that is often really stuffy and boring so naturally I think it appeals to younger audiences and for me a big reason for starting Foot Being Humble was when I was going to networking events I always saw men over the age of 50 same backgrounds as each other running 100 person businesses and never really feeling like I could connect people always joke that it's that they're the male pale and stale (laughs) and I believe that you can be really talented and be 25 and you don't need to wait 20 years before you can go sit on those panels. So when I could see that talent wasn't being represented on those panels, I said, okay, well, I want to create a stage where I can spotlight myself and share my own views, where I can spotlight amazing talent that is 23 and maybe they're running two side hustles or they're 28 and they just made the Forbes under 30 list. Like whatever it is, I wanted to prove to people that you don't have to wait to be considered as an expert or to be to win awards or to be industry recognized or approved before you could celebrate how good you are. Like that's something I'm really passionate about. So I feel like a lot of my branding, a lot of my content is geared towards the younger audience, because actually, I believe the sooner you learn to self-promote, the happier you will be in your career, the more success you will see. And very often the people in the more senior positions who are a bit older they've either figured it out themselves or maybe they don't feel like they can do it but I do really love it when I have a 50 year old come to my workshop and be like oh my god you've just reminded me of all the things I can do and I wish I had this 20 years ago but I'm so glad I've got it now and I you know as I said I do a lot of corporate workshops and that means working with people of all ages and as well as targeting you know the younger audience that generally for being humble naturally resonates with women but what I've been really happy to see is how many men have come forward to be like I've so needed this thank you so much so I try and make the, the content gender inclusive 
all ages, but naturally the tone and the way that the brand is created definitely attracts a youth audience. But I'm, I'm happy about that because if we can nip imposter syndrome in the bud, if we can nip being self-deprecating in the bud, if we can stop all of those negative habits and mindsets early, then people have much more fruitful careers and, and, and achieve their dreams a lot quicker. Do you know what? My dad has always said to me, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So I suppose that is what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And like I'm 28 and I've definitely, I've moved jobs regularly. I've started a side hustle, I'm running my own business. Of course, I suffer ageism. I get a lot of people being like, what do you know? You've not even worked that long or whatever it is. I've definitely had that feedback in my career. But the truth is a lot of what I say connects with people. It helps people. It changes people's lives. So my age shouldn't matter. And it doesn't matter if I've not, I never say that I'm a qualified careers coach because I'm not, that's absolutely not the sort of title I try to hold. I'm always really transparent that I worked in advertising and I know the power of storytelling. So I will help you tell your story. And actually I think that's one of the things that lots of people shy away about not having enough experience or worry they've not done enough in their careers rather than leaning into what they have done and how they can use that as a power instead and that's something that I always say is like yes my journey is this but that's why I can help you in a different way. So you're all about the self-promotion in your time working in this field have you noticed that there is a difference between the way men and women promote themselves or their willingness to do so? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's studies that show it. So the study, the confidence gap was something that massively inspired Foot Being Humble at the beginning. If anybody doesn't know it, it's a study that showed men and women going into interviews. And although they had the exact same skills, men would overestimate what they could do. Women would underestimate. And you know, we see it all the time, don't we? You know, men are way more confident in rooms, women, I say men are more confident, women are more honest. And I feel like we need to absolutely take more learnings from men, 100%. And good, good for them for doing it and going for it, even if they, what men I think have is a lot more self-belief. And self-belief is the idea that you can do something even if you've not nailed it before. And that's one of the things that women struggle with is I think they focus on being a perfectionist or being competent in something before they throw themselves fully in. And there's a, a totally understandable explanation for that, which is one, we don't have senior role models in the workplace. So we, we're already fighting that fight of a lack of representation. For years, women have been told that they are meant to be housewives, they're meant to be sat at home and look pretty and women who are successful to this date publicly still get ripped to shreds by men. Like I can't believe how often I see it. And it's so unfair and so frustrating. And it's it's really demoralizing actually. And and I think of course if you're you know, I saw a post where Kamala Harris was being ripped for what she looked like on a Vogue front cover and some guy on LinkedIn had done a post where he was like, she's not on here for her looks, her talent or any insights she shares. So can someone please explain to me how she's managed to get to this point? Naturally, LinkedIn went <laughs> mad, which was great. But I looked at that as, you know, I'm a confident person and, and I didn't necessarily let it knock me. But if somebody else was looking at that, like another woman saw that sort of reaction that Kamala Harris, the vice president, you know, was getting and all the things that she's done, it's like, 
if you're a smaller fish, you're going to look at that and go, oh, there's no point because I'm just going to get ripped to shreds. So there's definitely a backlash that women face, absolutely. And I think as a result, we see women not wanting to put themselves out there. I also talked about in my book about the mama bear effect, which is this idea that women are more open to celebrating others than they are themselves. You'll probably know a lot of people in your friendship groups or your network or bosses who are much more comfortable with being like, oh, this person did such a good job or enough about me. I'm so proud of this person. And it's that idea that we're more than happy to rally rally around our peers and, and big them up, but we struggle with doing it ourselves, which is hard to see. But that's, yeah, that's definitely the sorts of people I'm trying to target and support. It's really funny that you say about uh, women being too honest. I remember a few years ago, I did an interview um, and I asked for feedback after it. And he said, I think one of the questions was something like, um, you know, what do you think you need to work on? Or like, what's one of your weaknesses? Which is a question I hate anyway, because I'm like, I don't really want to tell you about that because I'm trying to impress you here. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) So you always try and be like, you know, like, you know, when people are like, oh, my weakness is that I'm too hardworking. Yeah. <laughs> my weakness is that I'm too good at my job. I love work too much. And you just know that that's crap, but you know, and I think I'd said something like, um, I'd said something like, I think I've come a really long way with my writing, but if I had to choose something, I would say that, um, my writing style is something that I, I would like to work on. Yeah. And the feedback was, it was something like, I'm not sure why you highlighted, uh, the fact that you need to work on your writing. That's a little bit too honest. I was a little bit like, well, you asked me to say something negative. I was trying to frame it. Like, you know, I've done loads of work. (laughs) What do you think about that? I hate that question. And I actually hate the interview process in general because people are so quick to put you on the spot and make you feel uneasy. And I've never been asked by a client, what's your weakness when I've worked in the workplace? So I don't know why bosses feel the need to do that because everybody knows you're not going to say a good answer anyway it's just not a fair test so I for anybody who's interviewing pe- people and they're listening to this podcast please stop asking that question because it's <laughs> not a fair way to test people and I, I think it's it's not a very modern way to look at it like why wouldn't you mm. say what how do you think you're going to add value what would you do to help improve our business like all the good things that you could yeah. a- advise on rather than trying to belitt- belittle someone or make someone feel like they're not good enough I think it's a really old school question and, and I definitely think it should be dropped because it never makes anybody feel good about themselves and like you said what's a good answer to that other than saying I think I'm too hard working <laughs> which is usually my line is it is yeah, it oh my god I, to be fair I always say I struggle to let go of my ideas so if I come up with an idea I really want to make it happen and I'll put a lot of pressure okay. on making that happen um I'm sure like that my when you're at uni they they used to tell us like you have to kill your babies you have to kill your first idea. it's not a very nice <laughs> saying you have to kill your very oh. first the very first idea you come up with is usually not your best so that's the idea of that and, and I usually say that I struggle to to let go of that I usually really want to make them happen but again I know that that's a spin on like oh I'm just really hard working so it's such a tricky one and it's it is hard for women and I I just wish that we focus more on on all the positive ways people could add value as opposed to trying to put people on the spot just for a moment in an interview what we have to look at are the people that are doing it well and rather than going oh that's typical they would say that is go how are they doing that? Why is it they do it so well? What could I learn from them? So 
um, you know, it's this idea of like, stop negatively comparing yourself and saying you're not doing enough or I could be doing that. Or I should have said that. Actually go, how, how are they delivering that? How could I t- learn from them? What is it they say in meetings that makes other people believe in them? Like, actually, how can we learn from how other people are confident is a really much better way to look at it than going, oh, they're so arrogant, they're so self-assured, because actually all you're doing is bitching and nobody benefits from that. Your, your, your mind, I think, for a lot of people goes to, oh, well, I could probably do that better. But, you know, mm, instead of thinking like that, thinking, right, well, what leaf can I take out of that book? And, and to make sure that I'm the one saying, oh, I could do that. I'm really good at that. You can't be angry at someone else for having the balls to put themselves forward. And like, that's the truth for it. Yes, it's frustrating when you see people and you think I could have done it better. But if you're not telling people that you could have done it better, that's not their fault that they're confident in doing that. That's that's up to you. Only you can control your actions. So do you find uh, that more women come to your workshops and your and your talks and things like that? Yeah, it's always very female focused. Uh, not, as I said, not intentionally. Like, I think the message immediately resonates with women and it's a struggle that a lot of women face. I never say that it's, that you know I, I as I said I always try and make it as inclusive as possible so it's always open to anyone and everyone the more I do corporate ses- sessions obviously they're way more mixed which is great like I say I think women immediately connect with the messaging my tone my story personally but it's always really great to see a, a lots of different people adopting and, and actually advocating for being humble when I'm not in the room would you say it's something that comes naturally to you yourself? So confidence, promoting yourself. Is it something that you've always had or something that you had to work on? I get asked this question all the time. And I have to be really transparent and say, I have always been confident. And I asked my dad, I was like, how would you describe younger me? And and he always says like, chatty, always telling stories, always enjoying a crowd and an audience. And And in a way, it's kind of sweet that that has continued into my adult life. And I would say it was definitely something like I feel like my family were always really supportive growing up. They'd always encourage me to go for things, try things, put me forward. Whenever I was preparing for interviews, they'd do quick fire questions with me. My dad would sit and help me with my CV. So I always definitely had really supportive parents and a supportive environment growing up. I then chose to do a degree that was like three years of The Apprentice. It was fashion communication and promotion, but every week we'd get live briefs and sometimes we'd have two days to come up with an idea and then we'd be pitching it to Boots head office. Sometimes we'd have three weeks, three months to come up with an idea and we'd be pitching it to Unilever. Like it was real live work examples and I I can't thank the course enough at Nottingham Trent, so shout out to, to all the team leaders on that, but that was such an amazing exposure. We had to do presentations every term. And by the second year, we were told we weren't allowed to use cue cards. So by third year, we were just wow. presenting machines. And, and it was really powerful learnings and education. And I would put myself in public speaking situations. So outside of uni, I would find public speaking ops off my own back. And there's a really amazing platform called Better Culture where you get up and you have to present, you've got five seconds to present each of your slides and then they move your slides on, they move your slides on for you. So you're not in control of your slides, they will move it. So you have to learn how to pitch really quickly on point. They also have another version where you have to get up, but you don't know what's on the slides. So you have to talk based on whatever comes up. 
So again, I, I did that the next time I went and I really enjoyed it. And it was hard and you, you do mess up on live on stage and it's okay. And then I think another area that's really built my confidence is I moved jobs six times in seven years. I started my own business. I ran a side hustle. I, I moved, I took on two roles at the same time. Like I've never had a boring job or a boring work life. I've always put myself in situations where I'm challenging myself or I'm growing my skills or I'm, I'm being thrown in the deep end. You know, one job I worked on, I had to manage 26 projects alone. Like there were a lot of things that I've done in my career that has built my resilience. It's built my confidence. It's built my awareness and it's built my self-belief because very early on in my career, I was thrown in the deep end and I had to figure out how to swim back up, usually without a lot of guidance. And I think all of the decisions that I've made have massively helped with my confidence. Of course, I wasn't this confident 15 years ago. Like we have to acknowledge that in the past seven years, my confidence has, and in the past two years, my confidence has boomed. So I definitely believe that Yes, although I may have been brought into this world as a confident, outgoing person, a lot of the successes that I've had or a lot of the achievements I've had have because I've put myself out there and I've created those difficult environments or I've created challenges for myself and, and actually followed through on them. What a list. My God, that is impressive. Do you know what? That actually reminds me, the bit where you said you had to stand up and talk about something just that you didn't know you didn't know what it was going to be. Did you ever have that in school where you'd play that game where uh, you'd had like five minutes at the end of the day and you'd and you'd say, who wants to stand up and talk about any topic? It could be literally like dogs, biscuits, dinner, you know, like literally anything. Do, do you, did you play that at school? No, I've never heard that, but I love did that. That would help oh my so God. many people. Do you know what? I, uh, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to brag, but I was really good at that game. <laughs> Well, there you go. You got a future in public speaking. <laughs> I'm bragging to the right person, though, I suppose. <laughs> also, don't ever start a sentence with I don't want to brag. Like, that's something that <laughs> I talked about recently of like, please stop using opening lines like humble brag alert, minor, <laughs> minor achievement alert. Like, all of those things just undermine why you're even self promoting in the first place. So, stop apologizing for bragging. Like, just do it mm. and do it with pride. So I was excellent at this yes, game. As you, were no. <laughs> you were amazing about talking about dogs and biscuits. Like, own that space, own it. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what? I actually really remember that. It was like, you had like a minute. And I, I genuinely think I spoke about biscuits for a whole minute. But that, it's a good, you know, it's a good I, topic to talk about. I, yeah, I think I could fair. definitely have a debate with myself on biscuits for sure. I'm maybe more exactly. I'm more of a crisp gal, but yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Maybe I was given the topic biscuits. I probably wouldn't have chosen it myself. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you promoted yourself? So it's probably two standout memories. So for my university degree, um, around 500 people applied and only 100 people got on uh, the course. So it was super competitive. And at that age, you're not used to things being that competitive, particularly when you want something so much. And our course was amazing. Like we went to New York in the first year, Paris in the no Berlin in the second and Japan in the third year like there were so many cool things about it as well as all the experience you really wanted it and one of the things that we had to do to even get an interview was to create a magazine front cover of self-promotion or personal branding or something that would attract their attention and I don't know if you know the artist Jackson Pollock he was the guy that used to throw paint splashes on art pieces 
to to really like simplify his amazing craft. But it was like beautiful canvases with like really amazing paint splashes. And uh, I'd loved art at the time. And one of the things that I did, I remember talking to my art teacher about it and they, they helped me in. And I laid like on this magazine sort of front cover layout and they threw paint at me. And, and we, we made this like amazing art piece. And, and I basically put myself on this front cover of a magazine and it's really cringe now, but I remember being really proud of it. Cause I was like, yeah, I came up with that as a creative idea, like without any training, that was just like, oh, that was just high school. And, and then I think in terms of um, self-promoting in the workplace, I think there's definitely a multi... As I worked in advertising, I was always pitching. I was always promoting. I already always understood that value. But I've definitely been one of those people that when I go into a performance review, if they ask for three points, I'll take in 25 points um, because I don't <laughs> wow. want to be told that I've not done a good job or I don't you know I want to go in and I say I did a talk about this recently it's like when you're going into performance reviews when you're going into interviews like you have to build up that case you have to bring all the evidence of your impact and the worst thing you can do is take in three points and not wow them the best thing you can do is take in 25 points and then go shit we can't actually argue with that like <laughs> and overwhelm them you, yeah basically <laughs> yeah. bombard them so there's too much good stuff so yeah. so that they know that and and I think that's something I've always tried to do in my career is like is never undersell myself and and although there are definitely times where I, I probably played the victim and was like oh why haven't people noticed me why haven't done this generally I was always very on top of knowing my self-worth and knowing when I wasn't being appreciated enough and I had to move on and, and de- that's kind of why I left most jobs was I didn't feel like I was either growing or I didn't feel respected or appreciated which I know is what a lot of people feel particularly right now and I think it's just really important to say that it's okay to move on and you don't have to stay at a job for 12 years to be respected you know I moved every I made the joke with employers that you have you have 18 months to keep me and then I'll I'll go so that's that's entirely up to you it's you know it's it's going to be a pay rise a promotion whatever it is but if I don't feel like things are in a good place I will move on to the next opportunity. And and it's really important to remember that there will always be other opportunities. There will always be more exciting rooms. And the minute you start to feel like things are stagnant or you're not being inspired anymore, or you're not growing, you really need to have a word with yourself and say, do I need to be in a space where I'm actually going to be taught something new and I'm going to grow skills? Because the worst thing is looking back four years later and going, I wasted time in that place and I wish I'd have moved on quicker. I think one of the things that puts me off self-promotion and probably a lot of other people too, is that people will look at it, especially if you're doing it on social media or like in the public eye or whatever, people will look at it and go, who the hell does this girl think she is? And, and which is weird because I'm actually, I'm a huge believer in the whole fake it till you make it attitude. Yeah, I really believe in that. So I don't know why I care, but it is definitely there in the back of my mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like you, you'd be a robot not to feel like that. I think we all like, of course, we all feel like that. doesn't matter if it's your mates from school or an old colleague or a new connection. You're always going to feel like that. I think you have to ask yourself, does it matter? Like, does their opinion actually matter? If, if a friend from school who you've not spoken to in 10 years 
send you a DM laughing that you've posted that? Do you really care about their opinion? Are they going to give you a job opportunity? Are they going to be your next client? Probably not. So does it matter what they think? And the other thing I always suggest to a lot of people is like, just set up a professional Instagram account or a private account where you can post unapologetically and anybody that follows you follows you because they are signing up for that content it's exactly what I said earlier it's like I was actually featured in the financial times and this woman completely ripped me to shreds for no reason she had never met me never experienced my content or anything she just really wanted to paint this story about why I wasn't a good person for creating foot being humble and all these things and And I really, of course, that was quite early on. That was about three months into running the platform. And I could have absolutely gone really panicky about it and said like, oh God, this must be what everyone thinks. But I just had to go like, what's her intention? She's trying to get readership. She's trying to tell a story. She's trying to convince people of something that that isn't there. Like what was, why was she talking about it in that way? And if we believed every single thing that every single critic said, then we'd never do anything. So Yeah, I I think just remember like why you're doing what you're doing, whether the people that are giving you annoying or negative feedback are even the ones that you care about their opinion. And also just remember like you're never going to please everyone. There's actually a book called The Disease to Please. And this is something that I think women struggle with a lot of this idea of pleasing everyone. And I think that's actually what men are really good at, not, not needing or wanting to please everyone. So that's something I would just say when it comes to posting your own content, just know that you're not always going to be able to make everyone happy with every single thing you do. But if you give out valuable, informative content, then people are going to be really appreciative of it. And if you are doing a self-promotion post and you're worried that you feel a bit self-indulgent, always just add a learning at the end of it. Just add something, one takeaway that somebody else could take because I promise you it works wonders. It takes your post from being purely self-promotion and about you to being an an element of thought leadership, of being advice, of being practical, of, you know, if there's something that you achieved, but you, there is something you would never do again as a result of that, then tell people so that they don't make that mistake or that they don't do it. Or if there were five reasons you got that job interview and you wanted to share why, then share it because right now that's what people need. They want help. So I definitely think it's it's about changing your own mindset and not caring about what people think, but also thinking about how can I be tactical about this? What is a piece of advice I can offer? And a good example I give in the book and I talk about at my events is I managed to double my day rate uh, through one really cleverly written email. And rather than telling my friends what I was going to go spend my new budget on that I just secured like oh, I can't wait to go shopping or go on a holiday to Mexico or whatever it was <laughs> I went in and said by the way I literally just did this I just did this with a, an email and I managed to secure more budget so if you're doing any emails to clients absolutely try it and they were like oh my god thanks so much that's so helpful I was able to share that and I was able to position myself as someone who understands how to negotiate Mm. but I wasn't making it solely about me so just always try and think about what's the what could the person who's reading this gain from it um and you know if you can self-promote without feeling the need to do that then amazing great work keep doing it but if you do feel a bit unsure and you do feel that maybe you need to add a bit more value to make yourself feel comfortable then give a takeaway so people can learn for themselves so I want to talk about your book. Yeah. Um, 
what's it called? What's it about? Let's start with that and then we'll go into a bit more detail. So unsurprisingly, it's called Fuck Being Humble. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why self-promotion isn't a dirty word. And it's actually been described, not by me, but other people, as a career Bible, which I'm kind of loving. And yeah. it's a really, for me, I basically wrote about it from the perspective of being employed, being a founder, being a side hustler. So it gives a really rounded view on how to market yourself to employers, to clients, to followers, to fans, to mentors, all the different the people that you may want support from in your life. And it's everything from how to figure out your personal story, how to share it, how to shout about your successes, how to network online and offline, how to recognize your self-worth, how to ask for more money, how to use emotional intelligence to advance your career, how to laugh at failures and how to not let labels limit you. They're the sort of 10 different chapters. And they're a combination of all the events I run, all the things I've picked up in my career, but it's basically a guide that you can have next to your bed and you could pick it up any day and gain something from it. It can support you through performance reviews, through uh, starting a new project, through asking for more responsibility, building stronger relationships. Like there's so many different things that you can learn from it that I really do believe it's that book that you will keep for your entire career and come back to just when you need that bit of a confidence boost. It's available in print and it's also available in audio, but I always make the joke that I narrated the book. So if you don't like the sound of my voice, just <laughs> get it in print or get it on a Kindle. There you are. This has been, been just a little taster a of little what Steph taster sounds like. A little taster of 60,000 words. So yeah, it's totally Oh my you. goodness. And what I would add is actually the book is beautiful. Yeah, um, it's a great coffee table of, book. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to have out. I, yeah, always, I, think I, I think I actually have. I say that <laughs> not to undermine my own work, but I always say if nothing else, it's just a really beautiful book to have on your table or to photograph <laughs> and put on Instagram. So, Steph, what would you say to self-promo beginners? So if you had to pick a couple of top tips for people who might want to big themselves up, but maybe don't feel like they can or they don't have the confidence to, what, what would your top, tip, top tips be? So I'd start with what you're trying to do with self-promotion. Like, why are you doing it? What are you trying to, are you trying to get a new job? Are you trying to get more followers? Are you trying to get speaking events? Like, what is it you want to do self-promotion on? I always ask people to think about what you want your legacy to be. So that's a really good place to start. What do you want people to know you for? And also, if you were going to be written about in press, what headline do you want to be written about yourself? So having an idea of those, I say dreams, not goals. Because I think when we use the word goals, we attribute too much pressure on trying to make it happen. Whereas dreams feel like something that could be around in your life forever and it doesn't matter when you reach them. You don't have to set goals. It's more just something that you want to work towards. So first of all, absolutely figure out why are you doing what you're doing? What are you hoping to achieve? What do you want people to know you for? Really good starting point. Second thing is don't feel like you have to do everything all the time. So I'd, I'd encourage you to just choose one platform that you want to invest in. Where's, where's the audience you want to target? What do you feel you'll actually use? So I'm terrible at using Twitter, so I never use Twitter. There's no point in telling myself I'll start using it. I won't because it's just not what I enjoy using. Whereas I have a total addiction to Instagram and that's why I created an Instagram brand. Um, so really think about like what channels do you enjoy using? And also 
what channels elevate your skills or allow you to demonstrate your skills in the best way. And, and also have a think about the emotion that you want to make people feel with the content you put out about yourself. So back to that earlier point around what piece of advice you might give. So if you are wanting to position yourself as a thought leader, a thought leader of what? What is it? What do you want to help people with? And and with that, creating almost like a framework of I do stand for this or I don't stand for this. So I, I share this in my workshops. Like when I was doing Foot Being Humble, I said what we stand for is being, um, you know, no bullshit, not not stuffy. We're, we're really trying to challenge narratives around this and having this list of things we do want to do, things we don't want to do. So that it really helps you go, okay, if you see an image online that you want to reshare, does that fit in line with the personal brand or the self-promotion style you want to share? And if so, great. And if not, then chuck it aside. Or if somebody comes to you with an opportunity and maybe it's not paid, you ask yourself, does this sit in line with my values and what I want to try and achieve? Is it going to help me reach my goal? Or is it actually just a waste of time? And and having that framework is a really good way to decide how to best self-promote yourself, but also how to say yes or no to opportunities. And I, I think just be patient. I think there's a big myth that things happen overnight and they just don't. I think if you ask anybody that is successful in their career at any point, it isn't ever overnight. You know, it took me seven years to build up a lot of my experience and, and understanding and every job I've had has enabled me to create foot being humble. Like I wouldn't have the expertise that I have if it wasn't for those experiences. So as much as you want to, you know, see a transformation overnight, I think just be patient and keep persevering. Even if you don't get a hundred likes on an image, or even if you don't get amazing feedback the first time you do something, it doesn't mean that people don't think you're great. It just means that they're, they're focusing on themselves or they don't realize how important it is to give you that, that praise or that validation. So yeah, I, I think just keep, keep a thick skin, have a bit of resilience, know that you can always change strategies. You can always try different things. If you don't feel comfortable, like just don't feel the need to like follow the herd. Cause the whole idea about self-promotion is standing out. And I think where a lot of people go wrong is they try and copy other people which means you don't stand out and you're copying things that you don't even want to do. And that's why you're not standing out because you're not doing what you feel most comfortable with. So yeah, that, that would be my, my few tips to, to get started. What would you say is the worst thing about being a woman? Oof, what a tough one. I mean, it's not tough. There's loads of things. I mean, I hate, <laughs> I, I hate the gender pay gap. I hate that that is even a thing. I, I'm still shocked when I read it. I, you know, the latest study shows that on average, women don't get paid for two months of the year. I'm like, are we seriously still at that stage? Like, that is ridiculous. I hate the way mm. that women are treated in comparison to men. So we touched upon it earlier. But one example that I have that was quite personal and, and quite upsetting actually was I shared a picture of me with my book the very first time I got a copy. I was really proud. And somebody I worked with previously messaged me and said, could you try any, could you look any more smug in this photo? Oh. Didn't say, well done, like, congrats, look at you, blah, blah, blah. Just said that. And I just sat there and I was absolutely livid on it. And I shouldn't have let it got to me, but... I just sat there and I, I actually DM'd him back and said, I'm really intrigued to know whether you'd say that to a man, just to call out the behavior and, yeah. and remind him that that's not cool. And of course, he then came back and was like, 
oh, don't be like that. It's really, it's, he actually said, it's really great to see you so happy with yourself. Like it was this real passive, aggressive undertone. Really? I've actually not spoken to him since, which is like yeah. going up to like a year because I was just like so shocked by that. And I was quite taken back that that was the way he needed to respond. And, and it's not to generalize all men, not all men speak like that, mm. but I definitely feel women get a harder rap for succeeding, whether that's acceptance, whether it's misogyny. I don't know what, what the reasons are, but I, I find that really difficult um, as a woman that, that we're either expected, we're, so, we're always empowered to do more, but when we do more, there's a critique on whether we've actually earned it, whether we're committed enough to our family or, you know, there's, there's always critiques whether it's Meghan Markle whether it's any celebrity female celebrity that's ever been in the limelight for succeeding or doing well but they're not doing being enough in their personal lives and I think it's the the combination of all of the pressure it's almost like when when men went to work their job was to go to work and do their job well it wasn't always to be like an amazing father and an amazing friend and and I feel like women have this additional pressure or expectation that they have to be all of those things and it's like it's not fair to measure women on different metrics to men is my perspective and then on the other hand though what would you say is the best thing oh such a good question I think one of the best things about being a woman is all my amazing women around me um which I think men don't always get that opportunity to have that support I think women just have this amazing knack for listening and supporting and being there and being empathetic and being emotionally aware so I'm grateful as a woman I am those things and supportive and emotionally aware of people's feelings but I'm also really grateful that I have other women around me that give me that support when when sometimes maybe I may not get that from my male counterpart so yeah I probably the the female empowerment movement and the appreciation and support from other women is is one of the nicest things about being a woman thank you for listening and a huge thank you to steph sword williams for joining me we love getting your feedback so if you did like this episode please write us a review and subscribe on itunes or the apple podcast app If you want more Lady Pod, who can blame you? You can find last week's episode with the Sober Girl Society's Millie Gooch on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for listening, ladies. I'll see you next week.